This is Jewish Board Talk with Sheree Zephard, only on 101.9 High FM. So I'm going to be upfront and honest here. I've only read one of Stephen Boyke Sidley's books, and that is Imperfect Solo. I loved it so much that I was determined to have him as a guest on my show to find out more about the man who writes so beautifully. I think what is so apparent in his writing is the wealth of life experience that he brings to it. And a quick glance at his CV backs us up. The opening sentences read, Steve has had over 35 years experience in diverse areas of business, media production, technology, telecommunications, information development, and private equity. He has worked at operational, executive, and board levels and has qualified with an MSc in computer science from UCLA and has spent 17 years in California. Parallel to his career in high tech, he has established himself as an acclaimed novelist and writer. And he's a musician as well who plays in various bands. And I'm absolutely delighted to have him as my guest. Stephen, welcome and thank you so much. Thank you very much and thank you for having me. Stephen, um, so you've done a lot of things in your life, including having lived in, in California. And I wonder to what extent your protagonist in the book, um, Imperfect Solo, is you. So I've written um, five novels all of them take place, uh, four of them take place in the United States, in Los Angeles, and one of them takes place in an unnamed city, but which is clearly American. And in all cases, I suppose, the protagonist has a little piece of me in it. In Imperfect Solo, which was written in 2015 or 16, I think, the character is a software developer and a weekend saxophonist, which is what I was for a large part of my life, so it wouldn't be inaccurate to say that I drew on my experience for that, although the life that he lives is somewhat more extreme than the life that I lived. To what extent, I mean, you have these parallel careers, and they seem, you know, at, at some point disparate, you know, a techie on one hand and an author on the other. Um, but I guess every piece of life experience is just food for novels. Well, they're not as disparate as, as, as one may like to think. I, I went to WITS to study computer science before I went to UCLA, but my, my honest thesis as WITS was computer composed music. In fact, specifically computer composed jazz, because I had a year or two previous to starting WITS, I had bought a saxophone. And the reason why I bought a saxophone is because I wanted to meet girls. And I became, I became reasonably facile on the instruments. And so I was able to join up my love of music and my love of computer science when I wrote, uh, studied artificial intelligence at, at WITS and I wrote a paper on how to get a computer to do jazz improvised solos. The, the sort of parallel move to writing, um, was a case of extreme good fortune. I had a mother when I was growing up in Johannesburg. She was American and she fed me a diet of mainly East Coast Jewish writers like E.L. Doctorow and Philip Roth and, and uh, uh, Joseph Heller, etc. And that is what I was given as what literature is. So I, I, I was schooled in a certain type of American writing from a very young age. And then I had the good fortune in the United States to have as my roommate, he arrived soon after I was there, Rion Malan, who is the great South African writer of uh, My Traitor's Heart, for those of you who remember. And then after that, I got married to a writer, Kate Sidley, who is who is an author and a columnist. So I had all this sort of serendipity happening around my life. So the combination of technology and music and books, I guess, was kind of 
forced on me by a perfect storm of circumstances. You've mentioned your wife, Kate Sidley, but you haven't said how successful being a saxophonist is to attracting women. Was that successful as well? Well, I started off actually on trumpet, and that was that was roundly unsuccessful. In fact, I should go back before I started trumpet and sax. I was completely unsuccessful. I couldn't get the time of day from any of the girls in my class. Then I said, okay, well, musicians um, sort of seem to be able to attract women, so I took up trumpet at 15 and found out that women didn't like trumpet players, and then I moved to saxophone, and bang, the walls opened. The tsunami arrived, absolutely. Um, okay, so... You saying that the two worlds for you, the writing and, and the computers, were very, very similar. But in terms of being a musician, is that similar to writing as well? Is that part of a creativity that needs to come out? You know, the, the, the process of being a musician, particularly a jazz musician or an interpretive musician, and the process of writing and, in fact, programming a computer draw on very similar aspects of creativity in that what you are doing in your head in all three cases is you are trying to create a web which is partially educated, the rules of music or the grammar of writing or the rules of programming, and partially random and chaotic. And if you're able to combine those two things well, you end up playing a good solo or writing a good sentence or writing an elegant piece of code. I find the creativity in those three fields to be extremely closely related, particularly when you're in the moment and you're doing it unconsciously. I've spoken to a mathematician, and she said her choice was either to become a mathematician or a musician. So obviously it, it is some connection that, that is already there and that you choose to kind of bring up. Uh, just tell me, you were born in South Africa to an American mother. Where did you grow up? Stephen? I grew up in South Africa. I'm in Johannesburg, and I went to um, Rosebank Primary School and Hyde Park High School, and both of those schools were 30% Jewish, so I was surrounded by my tribe, although not not as, as, as not in the same way as I may have been at, at King David. And um, my father had gone previously, to, obviously previously to my birth, to the United States to study where he met my mother, and brought her back to South Africa. So I had sort of one foot in the United States, which, which was always the shining house on the hill for me. I was very impressed uh, by America because my mother and my friends were incredibly impressed because I had an American mother, which was unusual at that time. And I grew up here until 2024 20, and then went off to graduate school in Los Angeles. And life in Los Angeles, is it as glamorous as it seems? Well, I chose Los Angeles because obviously the streets, were, the streets were paved with gold over there and I was going to be uh, a film director in two minutes and I was going to marry the, the equivalent of Charisse Talon. Obviously, none of that happened. It's a city like any other city. It does have a sort of veneer of glamour on top of it because of what Los Angeles represents in the, worlds of, uh, in the world of the arts. But, you know, you get there as a student, you know somebody, you battle your way to understand their city, you try and find friends, and these people were, although everybody speaks English, there is a cultural difference between South Africans and Americans. And, you know, after five years, I was completely assimilated to the United States, and it was a wonderful place to be. It was a fairly dangerous place to be, at least for me, because it was the time of many things, including cocaine, promiscuity, sexually transmitted diseases, um, 
wild experimentation in writing such as Hunter Thompson, wild experimentation in movie making such as Martin Scorsese and, and Francis Ford Coppola. The place was an exciting, dangerous, chaotic, creative and wonderful melting pot um, with which to sort of proceed in my young adulthood. And I, I don't regret my successes or failures or missteps or bad behavior, of which there was a fair amount. Uh, Stephen, uh, writing your protagonist again in Imperfect Solo is Jewish. How many of your books have you chosen to talk about Jewish identity? Um, all of my characters in each one of the books, except one, are, are Jewish. The first one is a grumpy Jewish physicist who comes up against the brick wall of superstition versus science. In my second book, um, it's a retired man who's not Jewish, but there is a very important Jewish character in the book. In my third book, In Perfect Solo, you've just mentioned he's a, a Jewish 40-year-old sax-playing software engineer on the cusp of middle age. In Free Association, we have a podcaster who's Jewish. And in my latest book, Leaving Word, uh, we have a non-Jewish heroine who's the protagonist but the book is centered around the fact that her boss, who is Jewish, dies. And because there is a 24-hour and into the grave, there is no autopsy and nobody knows what he's died of. And that's sort of the key to the story. And, and that is your first venture into crime writing, correct? Yes. It's, it's sort of a, it's a literary thriller. Uh, my previous books have been in the genre called literary fiction, which sounds very, very poncy, but I, I wanted to underpin a death at the beginning of this book in order so that I could sort of on, on, on the top end of the story is, is how did this guy die and was it suicide and was it murder and was it sickness, etc., etc. And underneath that, I wanted to investigate the meaning of art and what is happening in the world of publishing and what it is to be a 40-year-old woman of high skill. My, my female heroine is a, is a book editor who has suddenly lost her job because of technology. So there are a whole bunch of underlying themes, but it's driven by this, this, this death at the beginning and the need to find out what happened. You mentioned that your books have been set uh, not in Johannesburg. Are you planning a book in Johannesburg, or are you specifically avoiding South African as a home base for writing? Okay, so I've been under quite a lot of pressure from my publishers to write a book South Africa. I actually did write a book about South Africa in about 2016. And um, the difficulty that I had is that when you write a book about South Africa, there are elephants in the room before you start the first line. The elephants in the room are our racial history, our apartheid, our corruption, our class, our poverty – that whole pile of evidence squeezes out the ability to write a story without incorporating race and politics and history and corruption and class and all of that sort of thing. And for me, that was extremely constraining when I was trying to think of a story to write in South Africa, but I did. I, I came up with a story of a very naive Englishman who comes to South Africa and meets a, a young black computer hacker. Um, but my publishers told me the book was terrible and it never got published. <laughs> Um, <laughs> there, there is, so I, I went back to writing books that are set in America, and also there is some cynicism there because I have an American agent who's not interested in trying to sell books that are set in South Africa. But I think next time round I may come back here and see if I can squeeze the elephants out of the room 
and do something interesting. Well, you've written um, a book that's come out together with 16, I think, other South African authors on lockdown. And I know you're writing another one, Lockdown Extended. Right. Um, I hope there isn't a third uh, part to this book because uh, I don't want to see lockdown being extended for even longer. But tell me about those books and e-books and working with fellow South Africans. Right. So the book is published by NB Publishers, specifically by the imprint run by Melinda Ferguson. And she came, she has 17 authors, including me, on her list. And right at the beginning, two days after lockdown, somebody said, well, why don't we each write a little story or essay or opinion about lockdown, what we feel about it, what we've experienced. And, um, but we have to get it out in 10 days because lockdown's going to be over in three weeks. So nobody had ever written a book in 10 days before, but all of the authors jumped in and committed a story to this book, which is, of course, an ebook. Uh, I did a humor story about my search for vanity in a time where I was locked up at home and nobody could see me anybody anyway other than my wife being stopped from going to Virgin Active. And um, So it is a fairly light piece about how ridiculous it is to exercise when nobody cares. The second book called Lockdown Extended is because the lockdown was extended for two weeks. So she came back to the authors and widened it out to some very famous authors like Fred Kamala and Sasanka and Samung and Marianne Tam and Feral Havaji. And so there is another ebook coming out called Lockdown Extended to which I've contributed another story, which is a more tragic story about a trapped and dissolving marriage as this couple is in their trapped house under lockdown and what the dynamics of those two trapped circumstances reveal. But Stephen, before we go get the details for where we can get uh, access to your books because I know I'm desperate once I'm out of lockdown to go and read as much of your stuff as I can. I'm very curious to know about Boiki. Where did that come from? Okay, so I, as I've mentioned before, my mother was American and she arrives here and I get born at the Park Lane, I think it was, and we have an Afrikaans nurse and she picks me up and cleans me off and holds me in her arms and says, what a sweet little Boiki as in B-O-Y-T-J-I-E. Now, my mother had never heard this, and she thought it was the cutest thing she'd ever heard, and so Boyke was what it was called, even though my name was Stephen, and it stuck with me through school, through the army, through university, and into my adulthood, and to be fair, it's a much more interesting name than Stephen. <laughs> um, it's a very great um, uh, endearment, uh, name of endearment, uh, Stephen. So it's not an official name, it's just an, a nickname, as it were. It's a nickname, and as it were, and it, it's in my author name. My author name is Stephen Boyke Sidley because my, my agent thought it would be more memorable than Stephen Sidley, and I think he's right. Ah, I think 100%. Uh, Stephen, where can we get access to your books? Well, my books are all online on Amazon or Kobo, but the, the the bookstore, you know what happens with books. They take the books off the shelf three to four, six weeks after publication. So generally, if you go to an exclusive, you only find the latest ones. But Love Books in Melville has all of my books, and most of the independent bookstores have all of my books. Exclusive books would only have the most recent book. Uh, Stephen, I look forward to reading them. Um, and I'd also like to say thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. I'm a, I've been on the show many times. It's a great pleasure.